You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. We're at Romans 4. Last week, I've got a uh, picture from Malachi. Thank you, Malachi. So Malachi's faithfully turning him in here. So um, this is where we were at. We were, uh, this is part of it. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. There's that definition we looked at of faith, fully convinced that God was able to do what he, God, had promised. Thanks, Malachi, for that. Invite any of you kids drawing pictures. If I'm in a conversation with another adult or somebody, just, just slip it into my hand, put your name on it, and so I can get them for you. Maybe you get a chance to be up on the screen here next, next week. Well, hopefully you are here in Romans chapter 4. I'm going to start again in verse 18. This is what we were covering last week. Didn't quite finish, so let's finish this week. So starting Romans 4.18, let's listen to God's word. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's pray once again. Lord, we're just calling on you this morning again that your spirit would work through the, uh, the human words, Lord, of a, of a preacher. Lord, that you would use your word by your spirit to work in the hearts of your people to deepen us in the faith today. Not in just a faith, some faith, but faith in Jesus Christ, our righteousness, our hope. So lead us along, Lord, even in these few verses today. Lead me along and guide our hearts, really, ultimately, Lord, as we put our faith in you to give glory to you. For you are the author of our salvation, the author of everything, and the author of grace, this grace that's greater than sin. We thank you for that. Pray that we would praise you throughout listening and hearing and thinking on, studying your word. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, last week we did end kind of just midway through this 18 through 25, uh, stopped at verse 23, really. And I'm, I'm glad we have. It's always helpful. It's been helpful even for me just to study this section, even these last uh, three verses, just a little bit more in depth. That's what I w- want to invite you to as well today, to think more in depth on these things, to grow in, in our depth. And we have three verses before us here of just just more of these glorious uh, revelations of the truth of the gospel before us, even in just three verses of Scripture. And I want to grow deep with you through that. In order to think about that, an onion came to my mind. So uh, I'm going to be cutting this onion, so if you are 
really bad with tears and that, you can move to the back. But uh, an onion came to my mind. Now, this is, I don't know, I don't usually wield knives up at the pulpit. But I, I thought about asking you if you had a knife or asking kids, but, well, that wouldn't work so great. So I'm going to just cut this in half to serve my illustration. Of course, you know what's going to be in here. Just a side, you know what's cool about cutting that? Nobody has seen this yet but us. I mean, the Lord knows what's in here, but I just think that's cool. Anyway, there's layers to an onion, isn't there? And if you, if you do it well, you can get kind of that, that top crusty layer off. It's kind of flaky. We don't, I don't think we normally cook with that. Maybe you do. Maybe you like that. Then there's that, there's actually a thin, where is it? There's like a thin skin layer. You probably know the names of these, but there's a, like a thin layer on it. Then you start getting, and you, you can peel more, and it just keeps coming and coming, and there's, it just, there's layers upon layers of this onion. That's, as we're in the Word of God, and we're looking at His promises to us and our faith in Him, that's, that's kind of what we're doing together is, growing in these layers of truth of the gospel. You might, those of you that are like three or four or five or six, you're hearing this, you, you know of the gospel, you, you know a certain layer of it. You know it already. Little children know of Jesus and the cross. And then as you grow up, though, hopefully, as you get older and older, there's more layers to it. And it's just, it continues to be deep and rich and wonderful. And you get in your 30s and you're, 40s and 50s and 60s and beyond and it's and now my hands smell like an onion but you grow you grow in this deepening of the lord deepening uh love seeing these treasures and this deepening of truth that's what's here i just want to kind of wet your taste buds to be on food here of what we have before us so let's look at it the call of chapter four has been to walk. Walk in these, that's kind of how I've titled these sermons, the footsteps of faith. Who's Abraham's faith? Walk in his footsteps, our father in the faith. Abraham here counted righteous before God. So was David. How, how did this happen? How was this? By faith in the promises of God we've seen fulfilled. How was that promise fulfilled? Jesus Christ. That person of Christ, that work of Christ that even Abraham looked towards. But as we come to these verses, 23, 24, 25, we actually come to us. We, we've been studying Abraham, and, and we've been making application along the way. Now here's application, because Paul turns to the reader. Look at the first part of verse 23, and just into the first part of 24. 23 says, But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. Now, there's at least two great truths, deep truths, coming out of verse 23 into 24. Number one, it's this promise of justification. It's not just a promise for Abraham. So it wasn't just something for him. And man, I wish, I wish we could have that too. Paul makes it clear. It's for all who will believe. We'll talk about more of that in just a little bit. But I said there's two great truths. Number two just to note, another note on scriptural truth here. That is, what's said here, the words that was counted him were not written for his sake alone. That is, the words we find in Genesis, uh, in this case, uh, Genesis 15, written some 
probably 2,000 years before Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, were not simply written for Abraham. They were written for us. There's truth here. The writings of the Bible are timeless. Not just, not just intended for that near-term audience in, in the days of Abraham or all those other people that we think of, they dressed in the long robes and they, they dressed differently. Not just for them, for us. Now, certainly we've got to look back and how was it written and understand the context and the people that it was written to. We need to understand that because it was written to real people at a real time. But the fast forward here in verse 23 and 24 is, yes, written to them and for our sake. So we can come to God's word. We can listen. It's written for us. We can hear it in the year 2022 and beyond. God's promises written for us. Let's look, though, at the rest of verse 24. Let me just start again. So they're written, not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. And then it will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Look at the phrase. If you've got in the ESV, I think many versions have something like it will be counted. You have something like that. It will be counted to us who believe. In the words here, this, this will be, it will be, see those words there? There's a sense, at least from my study of kind of this word package, a sense of certainty about these additional ones being counted righteous, just as Abraham. So for those who believe, like Abraham, those whose faith follows Abraham, there's a certainty. You could, I've seen it uh, said, a divine decree even for all who are called by God to himself. They will be counted to us who believe, counted righteous. One commentator even sees here appointing to, to God's definite purpose here. They will be counted. Those of God's own, they will be. It's not in, not in doubt. Who is this? It's those who believe. Those who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord. Now, as we get to that phrase... Counted to us, who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. One question might come up, and I just want to briefly address it. Just came up, comes up to my mind as I look through here. The text speaks of believing in him who raised Jesus from the dead. As far as the Trinity goes, if we think about God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, I think it's speaking here, believing in God the Father. So the question might be, is not our trust supposed to be in Christ? Isn't it faith in Christ? Do we believe in Jesus or in God the Father? Now, I say that like this because hopefully you're already thinking, Pastor Mike, those are, they are the same. Jesus is God. And that, that's absolutely correct. Don't hear me saying something different. In one sense, just saying that, we've answered the question. Believing in God is believing in Christ, is believing in the whole of who God is. But let's think on it just a little bit more. And it might be helpful to remember here, even the gospel itself, it's a Trinitarian gospel. Don't let the big name scare you. It's a Trinitarian gospel. That is, all three persons of the Trinity are involved in the gospel. God the Father. Ephesians 1 speaks of the Father calling and choosing from eternity. The accomplishment of Jesus, the Son, on the cross. And the Spirit 
sealing, guaranteeing the work of salvation. We, we looked uh, past, I think it was in chapter, the end of chapter 2, the circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit. There's a Trinitarian work going on in the whole of salvation. So more than once, we read here even of, in the Scriptures of Christ being raised from the dead, and it's kind of in a passive sense, like He was raised. And there's some questions. Well, did the Father raise Jesus from the dead? Did the Spirit, did Jesus... The answer is, it might not fit all... Yes, that's the answer. If that's confusing, maybe it's helpful just to remember a, just a short little verse. Jesus says this in John 10, 30, 10, verse 30. I and the Father are one. But Jesus is, indeed, He is equal to God. He is God fully. And so thus, believing in God is believing in Jesus. God is, according to our statement of faith, one in essence. So we're not believing in three gods, one God, one in essence, eternally existing in three persons. It's the mystery of the Trinity, but there it is. So not three gods, but one. And yet those three persons have varying roles. And we see that in salvation. I think if you, to understand the Trinity, if that seems confusing, Sometimes it's just most helpful to think of it in terms of the gospel. What is going on in the gospel? And you see the Trinity at work in the gospel. The Father's calling, the Son's accomplishment, the Spirit's heart work. So again, at the most basic level, believing in the God who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, is a belief in all of what God has done. Further, to answer this question, why is this little phrase, who believe in Him, who raised from the dead, The idea here in chapter 4 is that of a promise made to Abraham and his offspring. So when you believe in God, this God who is verse 17, if you look up there, who is this God Abraham believed in? He's the God who gives life to the dead. And you're believing in the same way of faith as Abraham. And, And you're looking forward to the same offspring he rejoiced to be looking at, which is Jesus Christ. We see that somewhat even in in the book of John and then Galatians 3. Just as God the Father had promised promised Abraham blessing and offspring, so God the Father promises righteousness to all who believe in Him, which is really to believe in the gospel. And just what is this gospel? It's in verse 25. Two aspects of it. Let me read verse 25. This, this, this one who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord. What about Jesus our Lord? Verse 25. Who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Let's take the first part. So delivered and raised. First part, delivered. Jesus being delivered up. Leon Morris observes this, and and you can find this in the Scriptures, that many, many were actually involved in the delivering up of Jesus, if you you read through it. Uh, He mentions Judas was part of delivering Jesus up. The chief priests and elders, the the people of Jerusalem, Pilate himself delivered Jesus up. Uh, If if you're in the the two-year Bible plan on the, maybe some of you think it's obnoxious color, but on that color page... You were just in today, you were in Matthew 27, or you haven't read it yet, go to 27, go to 26, and you'll find the word deliver in a couple places. You'll see it in Judas and others. So there's that aspect of Jesus being delivered up. 
And it's actually the same. I looked it up. Same Greek word. Same as what we've got here in verse 25. But Leon Morris continues. He says, more importantly, we had a part in it. For Jesus was delivered up. And now he's, he's thinking of verse 25 here. Jesus was delivered up for our transgressions. And then he looks further. We'll get to this in a little bit. Romans 8, 32, where it says God gave him up. Same kind of, kind of idea. God delivered him up. And then he says in possibly the most moving statement of all, according to Galatians 2.20, Jesus gave himself up. So at one and the same time, this, this delivering up, hear this, it, it, it's an act of sinful men who nailed Jesus to the cross. And it's part of the eternal plan of God to save his own. And the only way to explain it is a sovereign God that can orchestrate such a plan where man's great evil, the greatest evil of Christ on the cross, becomes sinful man's greatest deliverance. And it's a deliverance, as verse 25 says, for our trespasses. The word trespasses has an image here of, of lacking sure footing or, or to, to, to lose a footing. You know, like you're walking, you, you lose your footing. Kind of think of it as, as uh, I forget if someplace mentioned this, wobbly in regards to moral standards. There's the moral standard. You're just kind of wobbly in that. One, one lexicon said a, a wrong move, kind of a, a stepping in the, the wrong place. Our backyard is filled with these. If you have a pet, dog, like our Scarlet, you have the landmines in your backyard. I won't go into details, but you don't step on those. You try to find the path through, and hopefully you found it. Or there's tall grass to clean off when you do. But there's that idea of being sure-footed, not getting into the muck of, of that. Well, morally, we are quite wobbly, and in our trespasses, we've misstepped multitudes, multitudes of times. And we've stepped in it, to say. We're tainted with it. And we know this because we've been through Romans 3. None is righteous. No, not one. No one does good, not even one. We are full of wobbly keeping to the moral Standards all over the place. Think on this a little bit more and just see what this delivering up from trespasses. Would you just turn back to Isaiah 53? This is one place we will head today. Find the book of Isaiah. If you open up like the middle of your Bible, you're almost there. And then find Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. This is this great, great passage on what Jesus would do for sinners. Uh, I think referred to as the suffering servant here in Isaiah. It's been pointed out as I study that in verse 25, where we were in Romans of chapter 4, Paul is in some sense, he's alluding back to Isaiah 53 verse 12. Um, it, it gets a bit confusing because I think Paul was using a Greek Old Testament in the last line. You can look at the Greek and we could do all that. But all that to say, to put it simply, is I just want to read these last three verses of Isaiah 53 because I think Paul is kind of aiming here or, he's, or drawing from it 
in some way where we're at in, in Romans. So let me just read just these last three verses, 10, 11, and 12 of Isaiah 53. Remember here, why are we here? Because Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. It says here, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. There's that, there's that idea. And he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many. and He shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. In a way, Paul, back in chapter 4, verse 25, he's putting in shorthand Isaiah 53. The gospel is deliverance from sin. But it was not without cost. At the cost of Jesus' life, this deliverance came for our trespasses. The modern hymn says it this way, It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. And how can we know it's finished? How do we know this deliverance is good enough for our trespasses? How do we know we're assured of life? Head back to verse 25. That's the answer from the last part of the verse. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Our righteousness hinges upon both the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His resurrection, according to Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, it's kind of the clearest, just drives it home. It's the surety of our faith. It's, it's the promise that we've been delivered from our sins. But here in verse 25, we want to ask, what is it about the resurrection that, that impacts our being our our justification, this idea of in the courtroom being counted righteous, being declared righteous, declared justified. What is it about the resurrection that does that? And that can be be kind of a hard question. I found here's a writer, Fred Zaspel. I haven't read a lot of Zaspel, but but it's helpful here. So he's going to help explain what's the connection between our justification and this resurrection, Christ being raised from the dead. Here's what he says. In his death, he, that is Christ, identified with us such that our punishment became his. I think we've talked about that. So also in his resurrection, he identified with us such that his vindication or justification became ours. Now, we're already into some bigger words. Vindication. What does vindication mean? Here's Webster, 1828. It means proved to be just or true. If Christ was vindicated, and we see this in 
I think it's First Timothy 2 or 3, somewhere in there. There's, he was vindicated by the Spirit, talks about that there. There's this idea of proved to be just, proved to be true. So Jesus, His resurrection, proved Him to be just, really proving Him to be righteous. Zaspel again says this, Just as His resurrection declared His vindication, so also His resurrection declares all who are in union with Him to be righteous. Very simply, the resurrection of Christ is the divine announcement of Christ's vindication, and so ours. Christ's justification, declared in His resurrection, becomes ours when we are united to Him by faith. His righteousness becomes ours. It's this empty tomb, it's a declaration of the righteousness of Christ. Again, one more writer, Wayne Grudem, helpful here. How, how is this? What is this righteousness of Christ in the resurrection? He says this, By raising Christ from the dead, God the Father was in effect saying that He approved of Christ's work of suffering and dying for our sins, that His work was completed, and that Christ no longer had any need to remain dead. There was no penalty left to pay for sin. No more wrath of God to bear. No more guilt or liability to punishment. All had been completely paid for and no guilt remained. So what came out of that tomb that first Sunday morning? Zaspel concludes, When the Lord Jesus came from that tomb, He brought our justification with Him. Rather than this resurrection that we're talking about here of Jesus, it's not just a nice kind of add-on to the account of Christ so we have a good ending to the story. It's not, well, I'm glad that ended well. It's for our justification. It's essential to it. It's the billboard. It's proclaiming the righteousness of Christ and so ours. It's the culmination of the promises of God. It's the living proof that Jesus is the complete payment for sin and His complete righteousness. And so by faith, by faith in this promise of the gospel of God, we who have transgressed the law with our many trespasses, our many sins, we may hope against hope like Abraham and thus with a hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ be counted righteous as well. As we close out chapter 4 here, I just want to review. I've just got three takeaways, three things are pretty brief to think about as we close out chapter 4, and, and we will get to 5 here, Lord willing. Three takeaways. One is faith. Another one is God's Word, and then the Gospel. So faith, God's Word, the Gospel. What is faith? What about faith? It doesn't separate one from reality it is based in hope despite the present reality that somebody's seeing. It's a hope and a reality beyond that. Abraham, hear it. Abraham was as good as dead. That looked to be the reality. But the reality, the real, the ultimate reality is he was fully convinced God's able to do what he promised. So to follow in the footsteps of Abraham is to follow, to believe, to believe God. faith, trusting in the promise of God, ultimate reality, ultimately his, 
his word. And so there's faith, and then there's God's word, this, this promise. Over and over, in this chapter even just alone, Paul has appealed to Scripture. You know, what does Scripture say? Or as it is written, or as Abraham had been told. God's word is his promise, and his promise is true. Because God's word is true. It's ultimate reality. In a world of what is real, what is truth, God is ultimately true, and we ultimately have it before us. And these words, this ultimate reality, just remember from what we've studied today, are not written for Abraham alone, but for us also. This study of God's word, in particular in print, what we have before us, it requires diligence. It doesn't just come. Sometimes we want it. Just, just serve it. You know, just, I want to understand this. Just easy. We need God's spirit to understand it. He's given us a mind to read things and then read them over again and then read them the next year and over and over and over and so keep growing these layers of really glory to God for what we see in this glorious gospel. So we want to understand him more and it comes through his written word. May we be people of this word, hungry for those deeper things, the deeper truths of God, that a six-year-old can know the gospel and an 80-year-old can still go, whoa, it's like I've never known this gospel. If you come to those moments in your study and go, it's like, ten, it's, it's like a year ago, I didn't even know this gospel. I think that's the growth and the maturity of our faith in Christ. Don't look at that as, well, man, I, I don't even know if I was saved. Don't, don't let that sidetrack. You easily can. It's just you're understanding more of what this gospel means, more of your sin and more of Christ. And so it is this gospel. As we come to God, we come to him by faith, we read, we study his word, these layers of this onion are peeled back, and we see these glorious truths of this gospel. The gospel here, verse 25, where Christ has been delivered up for our sins. Went through all of that, the forsaking, the wrath of God poured out on him on that cross in our place, being raised, declaring his righteousness, that our justification might be sure in the risen Savior. That this verdict in the courtroom of God is not condemnation, but righteousness for those who are in Christ. Today, do you believe God's word? Are you looking to Jesus by faith for salvation? for your multitude of sins against the Lord. If you never have, may today be that day of your salvation as you look to him. And for all of us who are followers of Christ, may we by faith, faith based upon the study of the truth of God's word, may each of us grow deeper in an understanding of the gospel. To not be okay where you're at. I think I know the gospel. Pretty sure it's I've got sin. I need Jesus. And Brandon prayed about that this morning. That there are deeper things for our heart to know. God's revealed it to us. We've seen it in his word. And yet he matures us in the truths of this. And may we be growing layer by layer into this hope in Christ. And so by doing this, give glory to God. Let's pray.
So, Father, like First John would commend us to do, we would confess, first of all, that we've been far too easily enamored with lights and flashy things and temporal satisfactions of this world alone that have drowned out the deeper truths of the gospel. Lord, forgive us where that is the case. And so often we are distracted from your truth. Father, would you grow up a people, and I thank you that you are growing up a people, Lord, a church where the the Bible is, is believed, where Christ is, Lord, willing, preached, where the elders care about the gospel, where we all gather and we want to hear from your word. Lord, would you just grow us deeper into you, not, not in some mystical sense, just deeper through your word, by your spirit, that you would grow us to give you glory and to relish in the truths that you have been delivered up for our trespasses and you have been raised that we might be declared righteous, never to be condemned because we are looking to Christ. Thank you for this. May you grow us in this, Lord Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.